Good morning. Hey, it's good to see you. Hope you had a great weekend. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand. Mobile Campus, Foley, you guys stand. Uh, I, w- I want you to do something with me. Uh, we've had a great weekend celebrating the, the uh, birth of our nation. And I want us to just take a moment and pray together and ask the Lord to uh, thank the Lord for this great nation we live in, but also to ask him uh, primarily that believers would turn their hearts back and start praying for our nation because really God's the only one who can fix this, okay? And uh, we're, we're believers, and he's brought us this far, and he, he'll, he'll finish it with us, okay? So join me. Father, thank you for this nation. Thank you for putting us here to live in this phenomenal country. We thank you for the foundation that it has, the way it was started and planted. And now we ask you, Lord, to continue to bless it, but to turn our hearts to you so that you can heal this land. We pray, Lord, that this nation, that the believers in this nation would rise up in prayer and intercession and seek your face for the health of this nation. Continue to bless us. We thank you for this blessing of this nation. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Thanks so much for choosing to worship with us this weekend. And those of you through the Malvis campus, I know that uh, you have been blessed. We, uh, Mark Harris has been with us this weekend. If you don't know Mark, Mark served here for eight years as worship pastor, and he's at Gateway now, and uh, he was home this weekend and with us in worship. So can we give Mark a hand of appreciation here? Yeah. I was out there a couple months ago with them, and uh, Mark said, you know, Bay's home. And uh, so it's, it's good to have Mark home visiting us this weekend. If you have your Bibles or your device, you can turn to James 2 and 1 Peter 4. And it's the first verse I'll begin with, and it's the last verse I'll end with. It just happened that way. We're in a series entitled I Heart My Church. If you missed last weekend, I encourage you to go online. We talked about the spiritual family. And this weekend, I want to talk about a place of accountability. You know, according to one poll, 93% of Americans believe there is a God. One Gallup poll says 73% of Americans are convinced there is one God. But another poll was taken, and it runs an astounding 100% that they believe in God. This poll is called the James Poll. It was taken 2,000 years ago. It's James 2, 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, the, the reason I make the contrast is because we have a lot of people who, believe, who say they believe in God, but believing in God may not be enough. So what does it mean to believe in God? Because if that's true, if 93% or 73% of Americans say they believe in God, why, why don't we see a difference in our country? Maybe because there's more to believing in God than just saying, I believe in God. The early followers in the New Testament and the birth of the church, Christ, uh, they entered the faith of Christ, and, and, and they did it different than we do today. And, and here's why. is because they understood then this term we called accountability. Accountability. It was different for them than for us. We've heard in our culture the term Lord, but many think, well, that's just another name for God. But you see, we don't stop and think, what does Lord mean? Because to, to a person in the first century, Lord meant something different than today. And that's why I think we have a vast number of people who profess belief in God, but they don't show any evidence of it in their lives. As though we have this mistaken identity of what it means to call Jesus Lord. And a lot of people want a Savior, but with no intention of having a Lord. And that's why we have a lot of people that, and I say this kindly, 
that would be what I would call phonies. Uh, they profess faith in Christ, but there's no evidence in their lives. Now, I, I know before you jump over there, let me tell you, uh, we're not to judge, but we are fruit inspectors. So we should, if you're a believer in Christ, you should see fruit in your life. There should be obvious fruit in your life. And so, and, and, and we're talking about the church in this, uh, nothing is more harmful to the church than a person who professes faith in Christ but doesn't live for him or a person who, who is not willing to show real evidence of change in their lives. So what does believe in him really mean? Well, here's what I think. It means that I recognize him as Lord and I'm accountable to him. And let, me, let, me put it, let me put it this way. I have to let Jesus become Lord in my daily decisions. We've used the phrase, well, Lord means he's my boss. But here, this is more practical, to let Jesus in on my daily decisions. And that's a process. So if you're a new believer, it's a process because you're going to have all kinds of decisions, all kinds of opportunities to bring him in that. And, and, and that's where you're making him Lord, the process of bringing him in on all the decisions that you make. Now, I have to say this. God doesn't do things at random. He, he has a plan both for you and the church. And we're talking about the church and God has a plan. He, he pre-selected the nation you live in. He pre-selected the city, even the neighborhood where you reside. He placed you there, and then he places you in one specific church. And we talked about the church as God's family and how God's family helps our family become strong because the church is only as strong as the family, but the church, if it's strong and healthy, should be helping the family become strong, and we work together in this. So God has a plan and, 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 and that's his part. Here's, here's the way he said it in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for in advance for us to do. Now, we must be accountable to that plan. There's accountability involved. We need to follow it. God built you with a specific purpose, and if he didn't expect you to, su to succeed in that purpose, I don't think you would have been born. So understand that, and you know this, that, okay, Jesus is in heaven, and, and he sent his Holy Spirit to the earth, and, and, but you see, he was isolated on earth for 33 years, and he was in one nation for 33 years. Christianity now spans the ages and, and the nations, and if we are accountable to carry out the purpose of the church, it, it's not just one community, one state, one nation, it's all over the world. So how does it happen? Here's how it happens. An interdependent cooperation is the only way it succeeds. The body, let's take the body, the, the natural body. The, the body interacts and works because of its interdependent cooperation. My mind, uh, my spinal column, my hands, my legs, my feet, all of that has to work for, for my body to function. So if there isn't cooperation, I mean, if, if one day I, I wake up and, and my nose has jumped off my face because it says, I'm out of here, okay? I'm not cooperating anymore. I'm tired of the eyes looking down on me and the mouth speaking beneath me. All of a sudden, my body's falling apart. I know it's a silly, silly illustration, but you can laugh. It's 1130, okay? <laughs> you, you have no excuse for morning hangover. You're, you're awake by now, okay? So th that's exactly, this is what I see happening to the church. I see the body parts dropping off. I see the lines are drawn and there's this demarcation and this and this and, and this body part doesn't want to do this and all that. And, 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 and listen, God is glorified when, when his work is done and we come together and we start acting like his family, his body, his church. 
So this message simply has three questions. Here's the first question. Who are you? In relationship to the basics of the church, who are you? Well, let me tell you who you are. There's three things you need to know. One, we are incomplete. When God created us, he left out major components that we need to complete our lives. In other words, he, he built us divinely disabled. So here, here's why he did that. Because he wants us to need him and to need others. The church is not isolated. There are no long rangers without Tonto, no, no, no uh, Batmans without Robins, okay? It, it just doesn't work. Somebody was saying, who's Batman and Robin, you know? But, but go, you, you find out, ask a kid. So here's what I'm saying. There's no isolation. He built us to need God and to need each other. We need the body of Christ. The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Here's what that means. That means we hate dependence. Our sin nature, we hate depending on God because we, we want to do our own thing. We want to be our own guy. We want to do our own, and, and our own money, our own power, our own thing, go right, do this, get that. And, and we don't want to constantly have to depend on him. I want independence. But, but know this, the quickest way to fail is to try and change an unchangeable. And so an unchangeable reality is that we are all incomplete. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And, and do you realize how insulting it is to be called a sheep? Because here's how it looks. It's so cute. Look how cute that little lamb is. They're so dumb. They are. They're dumb, okay? And we're liking that. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but God is not going to recruit your intellect to help him solve problems. He's not going to come to you for counsel. God's not going to do that, okay? So in comparison to God, we're like sheep. We're cute. Some of you aren't cute, but we'll say you are. Some of you are ugly. No, 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 I'm kidding. But we're cute, but God loves us, but he wants us to be dependent on him. Here's why he likens us to sheep. Sheep can't bear burdens. Sheep can't navigate. They're as lost. Sheep cannot protect themselves. They're defenseless. And so here's what you have. And God wrote it. We're all like sheep. We've gone astray. So if you love being independent, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're, you're gonna, a wolf's going to devour you. The wolf looks for the sheep that's not in the fold. The, ha the, the church, God's family, is the fold. That's where he wants you to be, not be independent. So Jesus came and died so we could be forgiven of our independence and be brought back to, to being interdependent in a relationship with God, depending on God and depending on each other. We need each other. So who are you? One, you're incomplete. Two, we are dependent. We're dependent on three things. One, we're dependent on God. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When, as long as God is my shepherd, I'm in a dependent relationship. When I say the Lord is my shepherd, I'm declaring I am dependent on the Lord. When I'm dependent on the Lord, he will meet every need I have in my life. When I am independent, I'm on my own. I'm just totally on my own. And listen, you have needs in your life you can't fix on your own. You just can't do it. Secondly, we're dependent on the opposite sex. God looked at creation and said, hey, this is good, but it's not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, that's sick. That's really bad. That's really, that's sad. That is so sad. Really. So God made man 
It's not good to be alone, so he made a woman. And so men are incomplete without a woman. And women are incomplete without a man. We're made in the image of God. I don't think the fullness of the image is, is visible until man and woman come together because the two become one. And so there's the image of God. In the image of God, he created them male and female. It takes both. But what about people called to be single? They're special. <laughs> they are. They really are. Paul was a special guy. You know, he's called to be single. That's, that's great. There's a special group of people. There's about 5 or 6% of the world's population called to be single. The rest want to be married, and they want to be married for the rest of their life. Well, Pastor, what about people single but not called to be single? Well, well let me give you some advice. Pray, be patient, and be picky. Don't just grab the first bonehead that comes along, Okay. <laughs> Don't, don't get desperate. God will give you the right person, okay? You just need to pray and be patient, okay? And all the singles said, thank you, Pastor. Okay. Uh, no, number three, we're dependent on the church. We should depend on each other. Y you know what? In, in all of the settings today, in Mobile, Foley, in Honduras, and in, 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 in here, all of our campuses, here's what we have. We have people, we have a crowd of people in here, but there are people sitting here and they are empty. Now, they do all the things that we think we do that make us happy and fulfilled, but at the end of the day, when the head hits the pillow, they're empty. They're lonely. You will never be fulfilled in this life until you admit I'm incomplete and I'm independent and that I need God. I need to be interdependent on God. I need the right relationship with the opposite sex, and I need to be part of the church because I need other people in my life. So who are you? Here's the second question. Why are you here? In the basic relationship to church, why are you here? Well, there's three reasons. Here's the first one. You're needed for the success of the church. God's already told us he doesn't want anyone to perish. He, God doesn't want anyone to die without knowing him. So part of the body basics in the church is accountability. Accountability for what? To take ministry to people, to love people. I, I'm convinced that the influence a church has on its community will be determined in large not by the personality of the pastor or the size of the building, but it's determined by the, instead by the percentage of involvement in ministry of each minister. The more people are involved in ministry and doing this and the nursing home, the prisons and this and the servolutions and this project and that project, all these things, that, that's what brings the influence to the, to the community. And when you do that, here's what happens. Accountability makes, marks the transition from attendance to partnership. Last week, the first Wednesday of every month, we have what we call Next Class, uh, the first and second Wednesday of every month. It's a place where you come in and you hear about us, you know what we are, what we do, and you can decide if you want to partner with us. This last week, the classes were full. What am, I sh what am I seeing there? I am seeing people then making a transition from attendance to partnership, and, th and that's part of being accountable, not just sitting on the bench, but being accountable. Uh, let, me, let me give you this picture of how this looks. Because sometimes we think, well, they don't need me. The church doesn't need me, this and this and this. In the book of Esther, there's the story of Esther, who's the newly appointed Jewish queen. And here's what she's faced with. All the Jews are going to be destroyed. But her relative, Mordecai, who's a type of the Holy Spirit, comes. And here's what he says in Esther 4.14, talking to Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, if you don't speak up, if you don't do something, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. You're going to die, your father's family. And, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 
These words stirred her into action. She spared the nation. She used her gift. She got into a position, and the Jewish people celebrate this day even to today. Here's why. Because God's plan was for the Messiah's arrival to, to be the, the Jewish people had to be preserved because the Messiah is going to come through the Jewish people. So he gave Esther the first opportunity to be involved in saving all these people. And, and deliverance would take place. If she, if she didn't get involved, deliverance is going to play, take place. God has another plan. God left the choice up to her, but he had a plan without her involvement. It's the same way today. God has a plan for your community, for your family, for, for, your, for your country. But the question is, what role will you play? People will be redeemed. Lives will be transformed. But what part will you play? And you, you need to understand this. We only have one life to live for Christ on this spinning earth. This earth is spinning about 6,600 miles per hour, and it's not a rehearsal that we live here. It is the real thing, and we must seize the opportunity that he gives us because God has a plan. What's God's plan? It's salvation. But watch, salvation is not simply divine life insurance, and it's not simply a fire escape policy. Salvation includes you, but it isn't all about you. It's what God wants to do through you because here's what he does. So when you become a believer and accept Christ as Lord and you bring him into the decisions of your life and you worship and you know him, when you, when you accept him in that, instead of immediately taking you to heaven, he puts a message in your heart. He puts a message of good news and a hope beyond this life. Now, I don't know about you, but I know of people that, you know, I've, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? I, these people, they're having a hard time, rough time. They're mean as they can be, and they're hard-headed, and they're stubborn. If I could ever see them get saved, I think God just kill them and take them on. Just take them out of here. You didn't see any humor in that at all. You, you've never said that about your kids? You know, get my kids saved and take them out of here. No, but, but see, that, that's not God's plan. I mean, that would be so easy. We get saved, we go to heaven. We get saved, we go to heaven. No, why didn't he do it that way? Because God has a family on this earth. It is the church. And what he does is you become saved because it's not all about you, but he puts a message in you. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, he puts a message in you to share because he has a purpose for your life. What's the purpose? God designed ministry to be fulfilled, and he leaves that up to the individual's role. It's your choice. Nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to manipulate you and make you. It's your choosing and doing church as a team. That's what we do. We do church as a team. We do it in partnership, not membership. And, 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 and here's the single principle behind it. It's Ephesians 4.12. To equip, notice the word equip. I'm going to come back to it in the Greek. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built upon. God calls every one of us, every believer, to be part of his plan. Some have, for, some have forgotten what his plan is. Some don't know what the plan is. The ministry of the church is not the responsibility of a few pastors. It's the divine responsibility of every one of us. Every member of the body of Christ, the church, is a minister. That's what God said. He has called us to be full-time ministers, not just on Sundays, not in a small group, but listen, but before you were the businessman, before you were a homemaker, before you're a student, before you're a teacher, before you're a, you're, you're a contractor, whatever it is, you are a servant of God, a minister, and you, uh, during your brief state, what you're called to do is be a minister. You say, yeah, but Pastor, I don't work for the church. How can I be a full-time minister? Here's what God does. 
he takes full-time ministers. And see, we don't have this identification clear because the church is all scrambled around. Remember the nose left the face and the, the ears have dropped off, all this stuff. So we, it, it, here's what God's doing. He takes believers and they're full-time ministers. Then he disguises you and he sends you, he loads you up with gifts and passion and compassion. And then he sends you out into a system. What's the system? It's where you work. It's your job. It's your career. It's your business. He sends you out there in that system so that you can reach others with the love of God. So here's why God does that. Because then anywhere you go, any job place, any office, any complex, any factory, you should be able to run into a full-time minister that is disguised as a worker. That's the way God has set it up. That's how he changes communities. That's how he changes places, and, he, and he's, actually, he's asked us to be part of that. I have the privilege of being the pastor of a vibrant church, but my call to this church is no greater than the call of anyone else. My pastoral role is, is different and responsibilities are different, but the calling is the same. My calling is the same as yours, to be a minister of Christ. So why are you here? To bring success to the church. Number two, you're here to function in the body. God doesn't need superheroes. You ever notice God doesn't use superheroes? He just uses ordinary people. And when we function in the way God has gifted us, not only can we accomplish great things, but we also find great joy in doing his plan. Doing church as a team it isn't one person doing 100 things. It's 100 people doing one thing, each doing what they do best. Here's what Peter said, 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So let, let, let's take a closer look at how God equips his people. The Bible mentions three categories of gifts, okay? I'm going to share those with you. These three categories is how God equips his people. And so the first one is the office gifts, or a better phrase in the scripture, you find administrative gifts. I'm going to use office, office gifts. The office gifts are not to be the corner on the market in ministry, but they're there to equip God's people to minister to help them do church as a team. The, the word equipping in the Greek, is a, is a, is, it conjures up a picture in the mind, and it means to mend. When James and John were repairing their nets in Mark 1, after their nets were ripped at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, they, it uses the same word in the Greek, to mend. What are they doing? They were equipping, mending their nets to fulfill the purpose for which they, the nets, had been created. What were the nets created for? To catch fish. Okay, so in, in, men, in equipping people, this is my job as a pastor, is to equip you so that you can fulfill, I'm going to help you mend the nets in your life so you can fulfill the purpose God's created you. And, and, and understand this, and, and my, this is for me personally, and not until believers are serving and doing the actual work of ministry have pastors completed their assignment. See, it's not about numbers and buildings and all that. It is about people coming to God and knowing Jesus as Lord, and then it's about equipping people and amending their nets so that they can do what God's created them to do. That's how churches grow. And when people are being consistently mended and equipped by the Word of God, they can do the work of ministry. That's why we have the freedom ministry that's been going on, and, and it'll start back in the fall. That's why we have equip classes where we deal with finances, we deal with marriage, we deal with prayer, we deal with child, raising children, with all of these aspects. Why? We are constantly trying to help you mend your nets so that you can be more effective. And when people are being more 
when they're being consistently mended and, and equipped by the, the Word of God, they can do the work of, of, of ministry and the church becomes healthy and vibrant. So that's office gifts. Here's the second area, serving gifts. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God attributes service gifts among Christians to equip us to excel in serving. So to possess a gift and not use it is unthinkable to God. God's giving you the gift. When you use it, he's honored that you're using it. Why are you using it? To build up the body of Christ, to build the church. And when you use it, you receive a sense of fulfillment that nothing else on this earth can give you. You, you can have the land and the car and the, and the security and the fight. You can have all of that. But when you are operating in your gift and you are serving other people just because you have a sense of fulfillment inside of you that nothing can match, and, it, and it, just, it just does something to you as a believer that now you feel you've taken ownership and now you feel totally different. And too many people <clears throat> have talents and giftings and training and educated, yet they sit in a chair every week and they're eager to get in and eager to get out of church without being noticed. And, and, and they don't use their gifts. They don't get involved. And, and let me just tell you this. I kind of talked about this group of people a little bit last weekend. But those are the ones who end up sour and sarcastic and cynical about church. Those who come in, go out, and they have all these gifts and talents, but they never use it. Why? There's, never, there's no fulfillment. So what do they do? Well, they get aggravated and they get frustrated and, and they think the church is more consumer-driven. The church is not consumer-driven. We live in a consumer-driven society, but the church is not a corporation. The church is ministry that may use corporate principles to keep things in store and keep things in line, but that's not what the church is. The church is ministry. What are we ministering? We are ministering to people. We're ministering to families. Children, every walk of life, every problem, every situation that's out there. And so what, 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 what we need is we need people using their gifts. So it's the office gift, the service gifts, and here's the third area of gifts is spiritual gifts. Now, when you, when you get here, a lot of times people get all tight and tense. Don't get tight and tense, okay? Listen to me. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. This this text I'm going to read is called More Controversy in Church Than Any Other Text in the Bible. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Spiritual gifts have long been the controversy of church, more than anything else, you know. You know all these things, you know, well, should you smoke, should you drink, should you do this and this. No, this is the controversy. Interpretations of this passage have divided churches, segregated congregations, and generally caused more problems than anything else in, 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 in the church. God authored every gift of his, by his Spirit he placed them in the church. They're his gifts. They, they don't belong to you. Those nine gifts, they belong to God. They're the Holy Spirit. They're his. But he, put, he designed them to be in the church with a balance because with all the gifts represented, then all the gifts functioning, it, it brings balance to the body of Christ. But here's what we did. Over 100 years ago, we started this. Somewhere along the way, we, we, we embraced all the gifts that looked like us. 
and, and we restricted the rest of them. So I'll just use this example first. The, the gifts such as miracles and prophecy and tongues were grouped together, and then they were labeled. And what did we do? We labeled them as a denomination, and then we took a word like charismatic or a word like Pentecostal, which are scriptural words that have a whole different meaning than a denomination. Okay? You can't get past the word charismatic and, and, and try to understand what it really means because you're thinking denomination or a group of people. You're thinking Pentecostal. whole different meaning. And so th those people were grouped together under the label, and then they started enjoying you know, their, their each other's company, and so they create denominations based on the similarity of their gifts. So you just took a third of the nine, and you just put this little category over here, and now you've got this little group of special people. Well, guess what? There's another little group of people. They come along, and, and, and they take the serving gifts, and they go over here, and they put all the serving gifts together, and, 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 and we call them the conservative wing of the church. And for years, these two fractions drew lines in the sand, took the safeties off their guns, and they never will meet. Certain gifts became badges of honor, the, the, the measurement of spirituality because of this gift and that gift. And Christians use similarity and familiarity as measuring rods for evaluating a church. So here's what happens. With all of this division in the church, with all the body parts moved around, and now the gifts are being categorized and moved around, here's what happens. People walk into a church. They walk into our church. Happens all the time. They walk into our church, and, and, and they look at how we worship, how we sing. They, 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 they look at how we talk or preach or teach. And they look at how we, and if we pass the test, that they're familiar with, they will fellowship with us. On the other hand, if, if they don't meet our expectations, they usually leave very quickly, and, 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 and then they think, well, they're, they're spiritually off, okay? They're, they're, they're an extreme. They're this. We can't have fellowship with them. Listen to me. God never said, find a church where everyone looks like you. In fact, if you find a church that everyone looks like you, you probably need to run. Can you imagine a hundred of you in one room worshiping the same God? I don't think so. No, God says, look for a church where everyone looks like Jesus. Every gift is necessary to accomplish what he desires with his people. No one alone possesses all the gifts, but together we do. So there's nothing like a church that works according to God's plan. So listen, from me personally, I heart my church, I love my church, because this church, we welcome the totality of the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God as He designed them to function in the body. And we have many people in our church family that have the gift of serving. They have the office gifts, administrative gifts, gifts of leadership, gifts of tongues, prophecy, teaching, mercy, giving, faith. But we strive to use our gifts in biblical loving ways, respecting people made in the image of God. Because now we have the mindset, well, that's that category, that's this category. Oh, they look like that. And so we're judging all, all of this by these categories that's in our society and in our culture. No, these are God's gifts. He wants them in the church. He wants them to balance and be healthy. And, and here's what happens. The more that people serve one another through the willing use of their gifts and allow God to do it and keep it balanced and healthy, the more the respect factor for another grows, proving we really do need each other. And, and, and listen to me. I grew up in dysfunctional church, okay? I, so I know all of that. So you, you, you're on that side of it. I, I know it. I know it like the back of my hand. But here's what God told me and impressed me. I want you to build a healthy church. I wanted a healthy church. 
And here's what I've heard people say, and I've had people leave because of this, but I, I'm, I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm walking out my purpose in my DNA. God said, build a healthy church. Here's what a healthy church looks like me. It looks like to me. It's a place where you come in where the Spirit of God is there, the Word of God is there, and people are there to worship, and it's a safe place. It's a safe place because you can go to that extreme, and there's nuts and flakes and brands out there. You can go to the other extreme, and, and they're just as weird and strange and this and that and the other way, okay? And that's not what the church looks like. The church, listen to me, the church looks like real people. And in real people, you got every walk of life, every look, every race, every personality. You got all of this and that and the other. And that's what God wants. He, he doesn't want this thing to look like a special club that you only fit if you look like this. That's not church, that's religion. That's tradition. That's not what God, and so when God says, hey, listen, when, when you are in this place and you function like this, yes, people respect me. They, they know what I believe. They know what our church believes. They know our core values, but they respect us because it's a safe place because I'm going to be balanced and healthy and respect and, 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 and protect people. Are you all understanding the words coming out of my mouth? Are you breathing? Okay. So, listen, this is what I see in my spirit. As this weekend, people in every service online, the different campuses, here's what I see. I see people sitting there listening to me, and I liken it to this. In the mid-20th century, in Bangkok, Thailand, they decided they're going to build this new superhighway. This superhighway goes through a village. Through the village, there's a Buddhist monastery, so they got to relocate it. When they start to relocate it, they go inside. There's a 14-foot clay statue of Buddha. So they're going to move it. When they start moving it, the clay starts to break off and fall off. Under the clay is pure gold worth millions of dollars, okay? What we can see is not necessarily what really is. And I believe there are people listening to me that want to be part of God's family, and you're living as clay vessels when in reality on the inside, there's pure gold there. But because of the history of church, because of this and that, and everybody said, and this group and that group, and this bandwagon and all that stuff, you don't realize what's inside of you, that there's pure gold inside of you. And you understand that the epidemic in the church today is the lack of purpose and unfilled potential. And God's the one who has given you the potential. And I believe just like that statue, there's gold inside of each of us waiting to be revealed. So to be part of God's family, to be part of the church and be active, that's what God wants. So here's my third question. What do you need? From my perspective as a pastor, let me tell you what I think you need to get your life going in this and be healthy. Number one, you need a church and a pastor that's going to teach you God's word in a way that you can understand it, okay? If you don't understand the teaching and the preaching that you hear, you'll not benefit from it. You know, I've heard everything. You water it down, it's this, it's that, you know, all that stuff. The Bible says the entrance of the Word gives life. So if the Word is where you understand it, it's like flipping on the light switch. When you hear God's Word taught, the lights come on. That's why so many of you come up to me, especially men, they'll come up and they say, You've been around my house this week. You're reading my mail. I, you know, how did you know I was acting that way or saying this or saying that? And then we brought in a guest speaker a few weeks ago, and they said, now you're bringing in guest speakers reading my mail. What, what, what's going on with that? That's, that's God's Word. It's the Holy Spirit. It's how it works. 
And, and when you start to understand it, the lights go off. Here's the second thing you need. You need the proper teaching of God's Word that does not, listen to me, accuse, confuse, or abuse you. You need the Word of God that does not accuse, confuse, and abuse. When you go to church and hear His Word taught, though it may correct, if it's a healthy place, there's inner peace, and you receive what fits you. And listen, pastors are real people. They have problems like everybody else. And a lot of times, pastors, they get mad, and they use the pulpit to beat the sheep. They get mad. They preach out of the flesh and try to cut people down. And every time they do, here's what they produce, condemnation and guilt. That's what they're producing. That's not what church is about. That doesn't mean I can't teach and bring correction to things, but when we teach in correction and in love, it's a healthy church. Health comes out of it. We grow from it. Well, that's the next thing you need. Number three is you need growth. You need growth. 1 Peter 2.2 That's the one I ask you to turn to. Watch this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our family, our church family, our congregation, you know, we have all of these children in your natural family. You've got kids and teenagers and college kids, whatever. In this family of Bay community, we've got kids. We've got newborn babies. We've got some little toddlers going through the terrible twos that are Christians, you know. We've we got some little eight-year-olds that are spoiled brats, you know, haven't learned how to share yet. We've got some teenagers that know everything. You know, we, we've got some college kids that are intellectual. We've got some old-school people been around God forever, and they know everything. Ask them. They'll tell you. They know everything God meant and what he said, you know. I know I'm being sarcastic, but it's okay. Get over it. Grow up mature so here's what i'm saying in god's family you got this whole broad spectrum of everybody so what do you have to do you have to understand that people go through phases and stages just like you do with children you know you, you take a newborn baby and, and and you know love it with the grandchildren but you know they'll have one little word and you really can't make it out so you you ask the sibling what did they say and they'll tell you this word and then they can interpret it. You know, they just, oh, she wants this, she wants that, she wants this. So that's just one word, you know? And you're jumping all around trying to figure out what that one word means. And then they get a little older, and they talk, and they put words together to make sentences. Then they never shut up. <laughs> and then they get a little older, and then everything is, why, why, why? We do that, why? Why do we do that? You know, where are you? And, and you know, and, and it just goes on all the way through. You know, they get teenagers, and they, then they don't say a lot. Then they get certain age, and they say, you know, anyway. So you still love your kids in the stages they're going through. I've never heard anybody say, I wish my 8-year-old would jump over to the 20-year-old stage. No, you love them the stages they're in, and you just want them to grow through that stage. That's what happens when we grow with God. Yes, we need to be like Jesus. Listen to me. None of us get there overnight. And none of us reach perfection. So are you growing is my question. We, we, when we begin to grow, watch, we get better little by little. You know, we don't grow in the natural. I mean, you don't, you don't see a newborn baby and see it in two weeks and it's grown a foot, okay? You know, some of your teenagers do that because well, you feed them, but, you know, they grow overnight a foot. But in the natural, it doesn't happen that way. It's the same process in the spiritual. It's little by little. Then we realize, oh, wait, I'm, I'm growing. I don't react to that anyway like I used to. I don't respond to that. Oh, I'm doing better in my marriage. I'm doing better raising my kids. We're starting to grow. That's what church is for. It's to help you grow your, in your walk with God. But I have to be accountable. You have to be accountable to grow. We are not accountable to perfection. We are accountable to grow in Christ. That's what he wants us to do. So listen, bottom line, 
I heart my church because it's you and me making up the body of Christ. What does that mean? That means that you and me, we, we're on a journey together. We're part of God's family, and he's given this house a vision, and we're part of that. And you're growing with it. And, and listen, the vision of this house will never be completed without you. Lives will never be changed without you. That's where it happens. So when you get plugged in and get involved and you start growing, your family starts growing. And then your neighbor, you, you, one day you get to reach out to your neighbor. One day it's a coworker, and, and it's just all the time. It's going on all the time. We're growing. That's how God designed this. He put, his, he put it together. But my part is the accountability to say, I want to grow. I, I, I want to grow. I, I want to mature. But we put so much pressure on it in the church. It's like, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, don't do this, and don't do that. You just love God and worship God and go after God and just grow, and you, you'll grow in process. You'll grow step by step, and, and that's the way you want to grow. You, you don't want to get too fast too quick, you know, because when you do, you kind of mess up big time, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your family. Thank you so much that you put a message of hope in our lives and that you will use us as a minister wherever we work, wherever we go, to be a light and a message to people who are struggling. Lord, our world is lonely and empty, and they're looking for the real. And if we carry the real and we operate as a healthy church and we operate in our identity of who we are, then you are going to put people in our path that we get to pray with, talk with, lead to the Lord, share, serve, bless, and all of those things just because, just because that we're your children and we're called. Help us to be accountable to grow in our faith. In Christ's name, amen. Amen? amen. Bless you.